0: Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe.
1: Scripture reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As Jesus started on his way, How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and an age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Amen.
2: Thank you, Sophie. Good morning again, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We started a new series a couple weeks ago. By the way, a special welcome to those who are new or um, just visiting this church for the first time. Our surveys show that from this past fall that about 50% of you are new to the city or new to our church in the past year, year and a half. Which means if you have roughly... maybe I'm not, I don't know my statistics, but I think that means you have a one in two chance that the person next to you is is new. If you're not, if you're not new, if you've been here for a while or been in the city for a while, I still think it's a skill to try to put yourself in a place where you can be curious of other people. See, the series that we started a couple weeks ago, the goal was to try to develop curiosity in ourselves. That if we're going to be able to be the church, our need is going to be able to be curious. To develop this curiosity that's necessary for the church. And I think this is an issue because our culture teaches us to be centered on three people: me, myself, and I. To be centered on the self. And so we have to push ourselves outside of the navel gazing, outside of the, the centering of ourselves. Because I, I would argue that we're not naturally curious people. We don't we might want to know about the other person, but we want to know about the other person because of how the other person can do things for you. And so what we're trying to do here is we're trying to go through questions that people ask Jesus, as well as questions that Jesus asked as well, to try to learn, to try to glean, to develop this skill, exercise this muscle in ourselves. Today's question, I think, gets at the heart of reality. If you look at the first verse, the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a sort of a large, ultimate question. Now, if you're not a Christian... Or if you don't know what you believe, you can translate this. There's part of us who still wants to know, what does it mean to have life? How can I have wholesomeness now? How can I have realness now? How can I have uh, togetherness now? It's the same thing. And we want that, but this man in our text is wanting that too. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at this text in three parts. Let's look at truth, love, grace. That Jesus, to all of our questions, he speaks truth. He does it in love, and then empowers us with grace. So first, truth. The man in our text is seeking truth. We can see that from his questioning, but we also can see that Jesus wants to give him truth through the progress, the progression that he leads this individual. But we need to still ask ourselves, okay, who is this person? Who is this man? Now, this particular story shows up in Matthew and Luke and our text today in Mark. And what we can glean from those texts is that this person was rich, this person was a ruler, and this person was young. A rich, young ruler. Rich means he was a person with means. The fact that he was a ruler means that he had authority, he had power, he had influence. He was an influencer. The fact that he was young, a lot of people think, oh, that means he must have been like a child or, or a teenager. But young in, in a, this text means that he had vigor, he had ability, he had energy. This person was in his prime. A couple of weeks ago, I uh, played some soccer, indoor soccer, and the next day I woke up and I, I was in so much pain. And I had all these aches and pains, and I, some of you look at me and go, oh, you're so young, but fine. But I remember when I didn't have those pains. I remember when I, when I was young enough where it, it didn't hurt the next day. And so this person has something that I don't have. So back up for a second. Here's the portrait that we have here. The portrait is that this person is a man that has things that we want. The portrait is a man that has things that we are striving for in various degrees in our life. He has riches. He has influence and power. He has youth and vigor. Actually, he has a fourth thing, that when they move on to the commandments and Jesus says, hey, do you keep these? He says yes. So this person was a moral person too. His community, he wouldn't have been able to say that in in this group without people going, that's not true. He wouldn't be able to say that unless he actually was. His community thought of him as moral, as a man of character. So he has the looks, he has the means, he has the power, he has the character. It's all the things that we think we need to, to have in this life. And yet I want you to notice something. In this text, there's, there's a, there, you, can, you have to read it a couple times, but eventually there's almost sort of a, but there's something missing. There's a, and yet, and yet, and yet, what? What is it? How do I know there's something missing? Because of this. The very fact this man is coming to ask this question, I, would, I think we said a couple weeks ago in, in, when we started our series, the questions you ask reveal who you are. They tell you more about who you are than what you're actually getting from the other person. They tell you something about yourself. The very fact that this person felt the need to ask this question meant that he knew that he didn't have something. Right? If, if you have it all, you're not asking what must, more d- must I do? The fact that he's saying it means that despite his perfection, despite his financial goodness, despite his moral goodness, despite his social, and societal goodness, there was this nagging suspicion in him that something was missing. And I would argue we're in the same boat. There's a American philosopher, still living, uh, Judith Butler, who's written a lot about the performativity the, um, of our identities. So the, 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 she, she's the one who's kind of helped popularize this idea of performance, that we are all in this space where we're trying to, in our social reality, create culture that performs. She, her, her main thesis is that even our very language contains narratives that we act out. And that means all of us are in the space of performative identity creation. We're all trying to create a resume or an identity or a story that allows us to feel like we're special, that we're worth it, that the verdict has been passed and and we've made it. All of us are in that space. And so you don't have to spiritualize this. You can say, "I I want pleasure, I want satisfaction, I want the good life. It's the same thing. Now the Bible calls this idolatry, but we would call it just living life. That our everyday life is working to get this. This man crushed the financial game, didn't he? This man crushed the social and and spiritual and religious game. What game are you trying to crush right now? What's the thing that you're trying to win at? See, I think what's scary with this text is that The person given to us is a winner. Is this somebody who actually, in culture, we would have said, they've made it. And what's so fascinating, I think, in the biographies that are written about the the rich and the famous, they they get monotonous eventually, because they they all kind of say the same thing. They say, I was striving, I was nobody, I had nothing, and I got there, and nothing was there when I got to the top. And I think this this is is us. And a good illustration for this, there's a scene in... um, I forgot what season of Ted Lasso, but there's a scene where the main character, Roy Kent, he's this was this famous soccer player. But now he's in his thirties, he aches and pains everywhere, he's washed up. And he's starting to second guess himself. He's like, Well, my whole life has been his performative identity creation has been to be this soccer player, and now that he's no longer that or it's it's on his way down, he's losing his ability, he's saying, Then who am I now? What do I have left? We spend our whole life striving, trying to get, and if you get, you never, it's never enough, and if you never get it, you just live this sort of bitterly disappointed life everywhere. No wonder we're, we're seeing that manifested more and more. I'd actually argue Instagram is, is you know, putting fire you know, fuel on the flame because what is Instagram? It's in real time, what you're doing is in your life, wherever you are, in your house, in your pajamas, you're looking at somebody else's life And you're seeing that they dance better, and they look better, and they have a better marriage, and they have a better travel life, and they have everything better. And you're comparing and contrasting and saying, I want that. I need that. And what Jesus is here trying to say to us is that as we sit around going, I could have, I would have, I should have, and yet I don't, he's saying to us, we think our biggest problem is what we don't have. We think our biggest problem is the the most painful problem that we have right now. We think our biggest problem is the one that we feel the most, and yet he's saying, no, your biggest problem is the one you you don't actually see as your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is this. And so we have to wake up to the truth that what we think will be enough will not be enough. No father is going to be enough for you. No mother is going to be enough. No real relation is going to be enough for you. No amount of money, no amount of power, no amount of, of, of youth or vigor or looks is going to be enough. And until we see that, we're stuck. And then be careful. I'm not saying these aren't good things. I'm not saying you shouldn't have these things in your life. In fact, I'd even argue you deserve these things in your life. I'm just saying if you ever have them, they're not going to be enough. That's the truth for this man, and that's the truth for us, number one.
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response or q and after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at or join us at q and on a Sunday morning. And now back to this week's sermon.
2: Alright, number two love Jesus speaks truth but he does it in love As a minister one of the major questions that I get probably one of the most one of the you know maybe most frequent questions I get is this I believe in God but it's not just I don't feel his presence is how do I know he's actually good Or people who are asking the question they don't know if they want to actually uh you know, become a Christian. The reason why they don't know if they want to is because they're like, I'm not sure God is good. I'm not sure Jesus is actually really good. How do I know? And I've actually started thinking, maybe what we need to do, maybe the way to uh, to help us is we need to do a study on how Jesus encounters people in the Bible. Because what I would argue is that he never actually meets or encounters people in the same way. Right? The way he meets Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is very different than how he meets the woman at the well in John 4, as Vanessa brought up. It's very different than how he meets the centurion. It's very different than how he meets the uh, tax collector Zacchaeus. It's very different than how he's going to meet you or this person right here. See, if we go into this particular case study, Jesus, through a series of questions, finds out who this person really is. And what what he identifies is this. This man is an achiever. This man's lot, very similar to a lot of people in New York. That he's made it, so to speak. And so when this person moves to the Ten Commandments and, sa- and Jesus says, hey, have you, how have you done here? He says, hey, I've kept them all. I've done them all. I've achieved them all. I'm not realizing he has no idea what he's really talking about. And what happens next, I think most people skip over, but I don't want to. It's, it's, the, it's verse 621. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know where you are in your spiritual life. But I I know this. What everybody needs to hear is that when Jesus sees your broken identity creation modules, when he sees your failures, when he sees your shame, when he sees your lack of even understanding your failures, that fraud feeling, that drive, he does not look at you in anger. He does not look at you and sneer at you. He does not look down on you. He does not look and stays frustrated with you. No, it says here in our text that he looks at you. He sees you. And he loves you. And not just like your face, but he—he's he, obviously he's going to be able to see all of you. The complete you. The parts of you you don't want to see. And he loves you. And, and yet... As we see in the text, he loves you so much, he loves this man so much, he's not gonna let this man stay where he is. As the phrase goes, right, Jesus loves you as you are, but he does not leave you as you are. And we know, by the way, from our text, in a moment, this man's gonna walk away sad, but he's gonna walk away sad not because Jesus doesn't love him, but because Jesus does. And I would argue this. Your job as a human is not to ever is not to not make people feel sad. I think that's a lie our culture tells us. Don't just don't make other people feel sad. That's not true. I I make my daughters sad all the time because I love them. And hopefully you will make other people sad because of how you love other people. And that's the same for Jesus. Jesus speaks truth, but he always does it in love. Because truth without love is not really truth. And I would argue love without truth is not really love. But when you combine them together, as you're seeing in our text, change is possible. Because this truth in love functions like a surgeon that we're worried it might hurt, but the goal is to heal. And for us, okay, then you have to ask yourself, well, how does Jesus actually do it? Well, the key, the key phrase is, he's building to this he eventually identifies it. He sees the man and he says, okay, this is your answer. Ready? Sell everything and give to the poor. That's the key statement he says to them. Sell everything and give to the poor. And by the way, a lot of folks have wrestled with this text. Is this prescriptive that all Christians, that we should all right now liquidate all that we have, have a big ceremony, everybody just liquidates all their money, sell it all and give to the poor. Is that what, we're, what is being asked of us? I think I've already told you that Jesus meets people in different places. I think The Bible shows us that there's all kinds of people with with wealth and means that are not told to sell everything. If you want another case study, go to Luke chapter 19. When Jesus meets Zacchaeus, what does Zacchaeus say? He says, I'm going to sell half of what I have and give to the poor. And Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 (laughs) no, Mark chapter 10. No, what does he do? He says, good. And so that means we can't apply this universally necessarily. At the same time, By the way, why is that? It's because this. You can be a very bitter person and sell everything still. And if you made this a prescription, then it's one more thing that you have to achieve to do, and then you can get your identity from it, and so the whole thing fails. Which then brings us back to the original question. Why tell this man at this time, this thing, to sell everything? And the answer is this. Because Jesus loves you, he's coming for your heart. He knew exactly what was at the center of this man's heart. He's he's saying, I have to show you that you aren't who you think that you are. See, you think that you have money, but the answer is no, 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 no. Money has you. You think you love me, but you don't love me. You can't love me the way that you love your money. And that's why this man walks away sad because of his accomplishments, because of his stuff, because his functional Lord and Savior was this. Jesus is saying, you can't, I can't be your Lord and Savior if something else already is. Go back to the Ten Commandments, right? What's the first commandment? Love, your, love the Lord your God with your... Wait, that's not, that's not that's the Ten That's all the commandments. The first commandment is that you have no other gods before me. So how do we know if you have no other gods before me? The proof that money and things are not your idol is that it's easy for you to give away. Or reverse it, right? The functional Savior of your life is what you dwell on and think about the most. The functional Savior are the things that you think and dwell on daily more than Jesus. So if you want to test, here's your test. You know what the idol of your heart is when you can't imagine having less of it to have more of Him. If You want to know like, what's really working in your life? What is the thing that you can't give up? What's the thing that's, that, that you're putting more of your time and energy in than Him? And by the way, Money's a tricky thing. It's sneaky. I personally don't like to spend money. I made this decision like years and years ago, when I was in the middle quest that I'm not going to spend money, so I'm going to spend thrift, and I, I have all these things in my, my life that I, to prove to myself I don't spend. But then guess what's happening? I'm getting my identity at being the guy who doesn't spend the money, like, like my brother, don't tell him <laughs> like, like my friends, like all these other people. So I'm doing the very same thing that they're doing. They're getting identity creation by spending money. I'm getting identity creation by not. See, the devil can get you coming, can get you going. You can try to get your identity by putting your family at the core of your life, or you can get your identity by sneering at the people who do. It's the same thing. That's what this is trying to tell us. And Jesus is saying, I love you too much to let that stay in your life. And so he's going to rip it out. It's going to hurt. It might make you sad, but the goal is for you to heal. And Jesus is saying, Replace your money with me. Replace your stuff with the Spirit. Replace your heart with this healing. And, I'll get, and before we move on, I want to ask you, what, what do you think God's calling you to give up today? What's killing you that you might not even know is killing you, that God's asking you to give up? You're saying, well, how do I know if I, if I don't know? See, that's the problem. A lot of us are so enslaved to something, we're never going to be able to give it up until it's taken away. And sometimes God in his mercy does that. I've grown up in this town. One of the main problems with this town is that people come here to accomplish and achieve and people are spending so much time on that career projection they can't see that they're going to burn up and burn out. I see it time and time again. A couple of weeks ago I spent some time with um, some pastor friends. We were getting together and we were trying to talk about how do we help our people become known, loved, and cared for. It's one of our values here at Redeemer Lincoln Square to be a space where you're known, loved, and cared for and yet We've been doing this for five and a half years. I know some of you have come to me and you've said, I don't feel that. I don't feel known and loved and cared for. I don't feel connected here. And so I was telling my friends, I said, you know, you have to at least show up, I think, on Sundays because that's the place where the body comes together. But it's too big to just really get to know people. I just show up on Sunday. So you do need to be in some sort of fellowship group or small group, some place that's more intimate where people can really work through you and, you can, and your needs and issues, and you can help them. And vice versa. But I would argue there needs to be a third thing that you need to do. You need a, Some other time in the week, you need to either be in their home or they're in your home or you're going out to eat or you're going someplace. You're doing something together. So I was saying to my friends, I said, you need three touches. I'm going to roll out a, a program at Redeemer Living Square called Three Touches. And they said, you can't do that. Not in today's day and age. You can't do anything that says three touches. <laughs> Not you as a pastor. You can't do that. And I was like... You're right, you can't, you can't, I really, but I'm right too because there needs to be th- at least th- like sort of three ways that you're in, in each other's lives. And see, I think we're actually, you know, that's us because, and we don't do it. Just like this person here, here's the thing, I feel lonely, I don't feel connected. Okay, here's the answer, ready? You need three spaces in a week to, do, to come together. You know what's gonna happen? You're gonna walk away sad. You're gonna walk away sad because you're gonna say, I don't have that time. I have time for Netflix, I have time for scrolling, I have time for Instagram, I have time for other things, but I don't have time for that. And the answer is, yeah, you don't have time. You don't have time because you're placing your time in other things that you think are more essential than this. And yet you're still going to then complain, I'm lonely and I don't know anybody. That's what this is telling us, is that Jesus loves you, but you can't see his love because if you're not looking, you can't see, Jesus loves you. You can't see his love. You can't see his love because you're not looking for it and because you're not looking for it because you're looking to something else instead of his love. And unless he's at the center of your life, you're not going to find it. All right, last point. Jesus gives us truth. He gives us love. Lastly, grace. I don't know if you you can see this, but uh, our text actually has a cliffhanger. The cliffhanger is this. The young man goes away and we're not told if he comes back. We don't hear it About him anywhere else. Jesus says, come follow me in verse 21, and then in verse 22, he goes away sad. And he goes away sad because of the costliness of following Jesus. And by the way, Jesus knows it's going to be costly. We know that because further down in in the text, he says, no one who has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or child. Why can he say that? Because he knows that's what's going to take, what's going to happen. If you really follow him, you will lose Money. You will lose power. You will lose sometimes family members. And what Jesus is trying to say here is though you might lose that, you will be provided for. You will gain. Be careful. This text has been used to manipulate people to say, oh, give more money and then you'll get more money. That's not what it's saying. It's saying whatever you'll lose, you will get back more than you could possibly imagine. Go back to our our Ted Lasso uh, example. Roy Kent, he's washed up He doesn't know how he's going to live anymore because his identity has been as a soccer player. Now he doesn't have that anymore. And there's this scene where his friend sits him down and she calls over his six-year-old niece. And she asks this this six-year-old, says, tell me about your uncle. When you see your uncle, tell me about him. You know what she says? She says, he's got a scruffy beard. He makes me laugh. And I love him. That's what she says. She says, he has has a scruffy beard, he's funny, makes me laugh, and I love him. And I, maybe it was just me, but I just started weeping when I saw that scene because this little girl with a very little simple statement shows Roy that his whole identity as a footballer had blinded him to the identity of being this girl's uncle. And it wasn't until that identity was taken away from him, that he could now see how rich this one was. And yet if this little girl could look at Roy and say, I love you, and that changes him, how much more could it be possible for us to be changed by Jesus looking at us and loving us? See, Jesus doesn't say, clean up your life, and then I'll love you. He doesn't say, perform, give away, and then I'll love you. That's not what's needed. Jesus says, I will love you because I love you because I love you. (laughs) I've already loved you and accepted you. I actually loved you and accepted you before you even knew that I loved and accepted you. And I see you even beyond how you see yourself. So place me at the center of your life. And you know what? If you did that, here's what will happen. You would be able to handle anything, any hardship. Why? Because Whatever you're going to lose, financial loss, relational loss, family loss, will pale in comparison to what you'll gain. No wealth in the world can buy his love. No home or McMansion or nice apartment or stuff can be better than the home that we're going to have with Jesus. And the way you're going to get this grace into your life, and the way is that you have to see that the reason why that Jesus could look at this man with love, is this. I think Jesus knew something that, that this man didn't know. That when he looked at this rich young ruler, I think Jesus somewhere must have known that he was the real rich young ruler. Right? Jesus had everything. He had riches. He had wealth. He had power and influence and youth and vigor, and he lost it. He lost the wealth. He lost the power. He lost his youth. He gave them up. Which, by the way, this is important. Jesus never asks you to give anything up that he hasn't already given up more of. The reason why he can say, give up your home for him, is because he gave up his home for you. The reason why he can say, give up your wealth and your power, because he already gave up his wealth and power. And what's amazing is that when you do, you get an identity that's not predicated on what you do or what you get, that is unassailable, and through him, can now change the world and move out and love and do justice and, lo- and care beyond ourselves. That curiosity can be developed inside of us powerfully. Because this is what Second Corinthians 8 says, Jesus, who though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. You know what Jesus did? He gave way to the poor. Who's that? You. So that we could have his riches. I saw a quote once that said this, the sun will burn your eyes out from 92 million miles away and you expect to casually stroll into the presence of that creator? And that's a kind of, ugh, you know, kind of hits you. But it hits you even more when you realize that the heavenly creator and the person of Jesus gave up that power to be close to you because he thought it was worth it, that whatever else that he lost, he knew he gained more with you. And if that's the case with Jesus, it's going to be the case for you towards him. Don't just accept Jesus into part of your life. Don't accept Jesus into an aspect of your life. Put him at the center. Knowing that what we gain will make today's diamonds look like rot. Are you willing to go to him? I would argue the only barrier to accepting him is the barrier that you've placed in your own life. Are we willing to work towards him? Are we willing to walk... Away from everything else. I know that's scary. I know that's hard. We just had membership up here because we're trying to say we're going to do this together. It's only when that, this moves you, it only when it motivates you, only when you see what Jesus has done that, that gets into your life experientially will we be able to see the love and worth and value that we have. And I actually think that's why it's so hard. You want to know why it's hard? Because it's so simple. You can't do it, there's nothing to do. Just accept. Jesus says, Come and drink, come and eat. And you can't find that on your own. No power can acquire it. No money can buy it. Because grace is a gift. The power of grace has been empowered in you. And this isn't just something to intellectually think about and go, oh, that was nice, and then walk out of here. No, this is something to live out the newness of life, where we wake up every day, where our past mistakes don't have the last say in our present life. And Jesus at your center means that he's mine and I'm his, he's lived for me, and now I'm going to live for him. If you've never considered this for yourself, it's really simple prayer. You can say, Jesus, Lord, I don't really get how to live like this every day, but I don't know how to rest. Show me. Right? Show me. If, and by the way, if you have intellectually said this, but you haven't been living it, today's the day you can renew and try again and start again, and, that's, and Jesus says, come, sit, drink. Like the old hymn goes, not the labors of my hand can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Hear the truth, see his love, sit, and be empowered by his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think I might have heard some version of of this in my life various times, and yet I get it and I don't get it. I say, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and then I go out and spend the majority of my time worrying, hand wringing, wondering, and not just sitting and basking in the pure awe and wonder of the riches I already have. Father, it really is hard. These disciples were amazed. But they were also amazed because they were like, then who can do? And the answer is no one can do. You can't. Without God, it's impossible. But with him, all things are possible. I pray that we would sit and allow this to be our reality, to be our anthem that empowers us out into the world to love and serve, to be curious. Now and always, we pray these things. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.